This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking entrepreneurship. Well, sort of. More specifically, we're talking about ways for entrepreneurial-minded inventors to both protect and profit from their intellectual property. Think about it. How many times have you had an idea for something that you thought should exist in the world, but never actually pursued the thought much further than the initial moment of inspiration, only to see someone else promoting that very same product on Instagram a few months later, and all you could do is kick yourself? I would bet that this has likely happened to all of us at least twice. And while there's no telling why exactly you let that idea go and didn't pursue it further, one common reason is likely that you had no interest in leaving your current job or sacrificing your nights and weekends in order to pursue it. But what if you didn't have to? What if there were an in-between option that would allow you to profit from your invention while keeping your day job and not sacrificing very many of those Sundays you reserve exclusively for brunch? Well, that's what we'll be talking about today. My guest, Tony Moore, a.k.a. The Wealth Building Lawyer, is the founder and principal attorney at The Moore Legal Firm. And with over 20 years of experience in business structuring, real estate, asset protection, and estate planning, Tony has become obsessed with empowering ordinary people to build wealth through entrepreneurship. She's also been an adjunct law professor at both Temple and Eastern Universities in Pennsylvania. So with that brief introduction, welcome Tony Moore to the Tech Money Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you for uh, thank you for being here. So I breezed through your resume pretty quickly there. What else should I have included about you? Well, that pretty much encapsulates what I do with regards to helping ordinary people create extraordinary income and build their own version of wealth themselves through entrepreneurship. So from literally from starting to succession planning. Sometimes there's some life events that happens. I used to be a divorce attorney for like 10 years. I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I just focus on just the family, the legacy, the wealth building and doing a lot of inspiration. Hmm. Okay. So you're going to have to fill us in on that inspiration in a second, but we're going to be 
talking about asset protection and intellectual Mm -hmm. property and such throughout this episode, as I kind of teed up in the intro. But can you first give us some examples of what you would even consider to be intellectual property? Like, what does that term even apply to? Yes. So I always liken it to the intelligence package, the thing that you do so well, creativity, strategy, brilliance of your singer and the lyrics that you create, a songwriter, a musician, all of that good stuff. That's intelligence package and that's intellectual property. So it's protected. So the ideas is protected Mm -hmm. with the contract, of course, anything that you create with regards to art, we think about copyrights. If you're thinking about like patents, we're usually thinking about machinery and proprietary blends and the mechanics of of how things go and how things work and how things get better. And then of course, trademarking is literally what a lot of people's obsession is because Mm -hmm. it's about the name, you know, it's the name. It's the thing that when people see the sign or they see Starbucks symbol or they see Neiman Marcus and their script, it's an identifier of the person who uh, or the company or organization who's created it. So that's what we protect because, you know, I always say business is a game and having a name gives you the fame. And that's the thing that we have to protect. So it's mm-hmm. the individual property. So I, I'm sure you get this question all the time and I can tell by how quickly you rattled this off, but I want to make sure that I, kind of clarify two things that you just dropped in there. So if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like the difference between a copyright and a trademark is that one is sort of a written piece of work copyright and the other applies to more of a piece of art or, or something a, uh, a little bit simpler that would, that you would attach a trademark to. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Almost, you know, okay. this was IP class. I'd be like, no, let's do this again. Well, yeah, no, get me right. I want to make sure <laughs> yes. I'm, we're, we're, we're putting the right information out there into the ether. Yeah. So when I think of copyrights, I always think of C as content, right? It's the mm. thing that you've created, creative content, like a, the inside of a book, that's creative content. Photography, creative content. Dancing, creative content. Jewelry, creative content. So the appearance of jewelry, how people do it so well, Mm-hmm. then that's the creative content that gets protected. The the books, the magazines, the movies, the script, that's all creative content. So all of the creative content that is protected under copyright.gov, the copyright law. Trademarking is literally, it's the mark in your trader business. So hence trademarking. And that is names of, just think of like names of like computers companies, software companies, tech companies, mm-hmm. startup come up with an amazing name and they don't want anyone else to duplicate it, then they wanted that name to be protected under trademark law. So uh, any tagline that identifies the company for a couple of years, a lot of people were obsessed with Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think that's the point where I knew their sound and I was like, oh, we're about to watch Netflix, you know? Yeah. Um, that knock on the desk. Absolutely. So that's where identifiers with regards to the name of the manufacturer, the name of the company, the name of the brand, what's presenting, even like the name of your podcast. That's the trademark. We think about it like uh, doing business as, or you can even think of it like a fictitious name that identifies. For instance, more legal firm is the name of my firm, mm-hmm. but legally chic is the name of the brand. Mm, I see. 
the, so the, the the online classes and stuff that you teach is under the legally chic brand so it Correct. makes more sense to trademark that because that's the I hate to use the word hook because it sounds like it cheapens it, but you know what I mean? Like it's the uh-huh. thing that sticks in people's mind that they remember you for. Yes, exactly. And it's going to be an app soon. So I'm having someone work on my app. So it's just going to be an app as well. So, and I didn't know when, you were that fancy. I'm that fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a, here's another question uh, similar related to this, but like, how would I know, right, if I'm an ordinary person going about my life, working my regular job, doing what I consider to be ordinary, at least, right? How would I know whether I've produced a piece of work worth protecting with something like a copyright or a trademark? So now I'm going to get a little soulful and I'm like, sometimes you know it within your soul or sometimes you don't know, but maybe your people in your network is like, oh, my God, yeah, you really need to protect that. And you can tell because it, it becomes like something that is like when you put it out there and you feel it like, oh, my God, I can't let anyone take this from me mm-hmm. uh, with regards to it. I have this one guy. He's excellent. He creates apps, but he doesn't from he does. He cre- literally he, he has his mind. It's all about him. It's not like common. It's not like what is it? The common things that you can get off the Internet. It's mm-hmm. not using other people's information. It's him he's doing the formula he's doing everything i was like that is so creative that you want to make sure that you want to copyright it so no one else can take it from you and if they do then at least with a registration of your copyright interest that has been uploaded to the copyright.gov website if someone ever takes something from you then you can now go after them under copyright laws and get attorney's fees and get a cease and desist and also be able to pretty much have a restraining order so that they can't duplicate and monetize, right? Without that registration showing that you've established that, oh my God, you put it out there, you were serious enough with regards to protecting your interests. These Mm -hmm. are assets that you can use as collateral, by the way, and you can synchronize them into a multitude of things. Then it would be hard for you to establish that you established it first, and that the other person utilize your information. It's well, better let's, to you. Mm-hmm. Let's stay there for a quick second, because you pointed out something that I, I remember now was like the, the initial light lightning moment that light bulb moment was actually what I was searching for that made me decide you and I needed to hit the record button and turn this into a podcast episode. And we were kind of just going back and forth before. Mm-hmm. And it was specific to this audience. You mentioned someone who might be an app developer and mm-hmm. they've created something that's worth protecting because that app is so special and specific and unique. And I think that applies very specifically to this audience who mm-hmm. it's similar to someone who's a, a a designer or a artist in a way where during their day job, they do this professional work of art, but then in their free time, they quote unquote doodle or they, you know, play around a little bit just to keep their skills sharp, let's say. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing in the tech world with friends of mine who create these side projects just as something to do. They're just hacking away at an idea problem they want to solve and then all of a sudden it becomes a thing and Mm -hmm. so if i'm hearing you correctly it's like whether you think it's monetizable or not in the moment once you've created that thing that enough people around you are telling you hey that's actually really useful and i would even pay money for it if i wasn't your friend and you were giving it to me for free Mm -hmm. 
that's the moment when light bulb goes off and I should say, okay, let me contact an IP attorney to make sure that I lock this thing down and someone doesn't steal the unique identifiers like my string of code that I used to create this thing from me and turn it into their own because they got there second, but I didn't really have the common knowledge, let's say, to lock the door. I like it. Yes, to lock the door. Because when you file your registration of that creative code, and and I just look at code, my husband is actually a code person as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, you're you're that brain of yours is just so beautiful, you know. (laughs) Um, But because uh, he's like, I just don't understand it because I'm I'm a creative by nature, lawyer by trade. So it's only so far that I'll go. Yeah. But when you lock that door, it's now like you have that copyright registration to lock the door, so to speak. And if anyone wants to take derivatives from that, then they now have to negotiate with you with regards to certain uses. You can have a, an exclusive use if you want, or you can allow people to have a non-exclusive use to your code that then they may then turn around and utilize it for other things. But at least when you negotiate and and you force them to understand and appreciate that the door is locked and the Mm -hmm. only way to open it is for a negotiation, a contract, and also a license agreement. Hmm. So it's, it's similar to when I watch Shark Tank and people like Kevin O'Leary get extremely excited and say, I can turn this thing into a licensing deal you and I are going to march in the bed, bath and beyond and license this thing to them to go and produce it on our behalf and put it on their shelves and sell it. And then they're going to pay us a royalty after the fact. It sounds like what you're talking about is what uh, what folks refer to as like white labeling your technology. Right. So yes. I'm paying you a lease fee to put my name on it and produce it you know, on my website and sell it through my channel. But realistically, I have a certain amount of time that I'm allowed to use this thing and profit from it until we either kill the agreement altogether or renew that agreement, presumably at better terms this time and lock in another five, 10, 20 years, whatever we initially agreed to. But all the while I can turn around and sell that same lease or lease that same technology to the next third, fourth, fifth company down the line who wants to white label that same technology. And, and, and exactly, exactly. With regards to the code, the code, now the code is under copyright. Mm-hmm. The technology uh, goes under patents, it, okay. you know, with regards to it. So the technology goes under patents and sometimes people think, oh, it's this or I'm like, no, no, no. Certain deals, it's a copyright, it's a trademark, and it's also a patent because the patent is a, is something that pretty much gives the, the registrant the ability to exclude other people from duplicating. Hmm. So the copyright gives other people license to use or take derivatives or to copy, hence copyright. But a patent gives the applicant the right to to pretty much disclaim anyone from utilizing any of that code of that the process on the server. So it's 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 two different ways of protecting the interest, but the code is definitely under copyright. But then when you're talking about the ways of doing it, the means of doing it, things that the way the mechanics of it, then that's under the patent part of it. I hate uh, to get even more technical here, but mm-hmm. since you took us down this road, I, I 
you already opened the door, but I'm thinking, how do I know whether my thing needs a utility patent versus say a design patent in that instance? Like same example, I've created this, this app, I've created this platform. The string of code is the thing that I want to protect. How do I know whether I'm, I'm in need of a utility patent or a design patent or something else? Yeah. So utility patent usually protects what's the use, the works of it, right? So it's like, uh, if, if it's the interior, like if I open up a car and I'm looking at the mechanics um, mm-hmm. of, of something, then that's the utility. It's how it's worked. It's how it's used, you know, carburetors, things of that nature. A design patent protects the appearance of how something looks. Mm-hmm. So it's I all see. about the appearance. Most people care. Well, a lot of people care more about what's how it's used because mm-hmm. they, they came up with something that was new came up something was novel, came up something that, you know, it's necessary. So they want to make sure that no one else can pretty much use that idea, you mm-hmm. know, so it protects that, that, that idea of how that proprietary way of processing and the mechanics of how something is done. Right. So uh, or yeah. even a proprietary blend. Yes. Your utility patent example is the, the carburetor in the car and i'm now visualizing similarly the design patent is maybe the first backpack to put a little hole in it so you could put your headphones through and not have to reach into your backpack to to hit next on your your ipod is that absolutely absolutely and you usually see that also with regards to tesla you know their automobiles Mm -hmm. that's a design patent um certain jewelry if it has a bold and funky look to it that's a design patent um, the, remember the original Coca-Cola bottle, that was a design patent because it was original and it pretty much was something that no one else had, had was doing before. So patents only last for about 20 years and it takes a while to, to, to go through the process. But, you know, so you have 20 years to pretty much tell people, ah, this is, this is off limits. You know, this is roped off unless you have an agreement with me. So here's another another question that I'm 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 thinking about now. What if I created this piece of work while I was at my nine to five, right? I'm going to assume that I signed something when I was hired that like clearly stipulates that any work product created while on company time or on a company computer or on campus using company Wi-Fi or whatever, like all that's going to belong to my employer. But are there any workarounds here or is this more just, you know, don't do it because once you do, it is what it is. It really depends on if there's a conflict. Okay. So if if you are doodling at work mm-hmm. and this is your job, then your employer is, of course, going to want to utilize whatever you create mm-hmm. during that time period because they're like, hey, you're, you're, you were, you are our employee. So whatever you create is now ours. It's going to drive you batty, but that's the way the rules are. Sometimes if you are, I don't know, like a professor and you're teaching civil rights Mm -hmm. and then you're sketching on on your own time, you know, or during your break time or during your lunch break, and now you're an amazing fashion designer, it's going to be very hard for your employer to say, hey, we said that whatever intellectual property you created Mm -hmm. is ours. The problem lies where someone 
is in an area where they're in tech or they're creating or, you know, and, and the very thing that is their million dollar idea or more is the very thing that is technically something that they should, they should not necessarily should have, but they could have done for the employer. So that's where the problem will come into play when you start creating your own business mm-hmm. that technically would be a conflict of your employers. So, you know, employers really don't care what you do on your off time, mm-hmm. but they do not want you to create something that now is going to compete with them because then there there's going to be argument with regards to if you utilize any of the employer's secrets are are you were actually created it during your lunch hour or your weekend time quote unquote off as opposed to when you were supposed to do something for the employer or so you know especially when it comes to that creative that, that creativity so sometimes if if someone is thinking of doing maybe some entrepreneurial endeavors and they know that there's going to be a blend you pretty much have to do the right thing and put out full disclosure yeah. that way that way there can be a conversation about what does that look like especially if you start off like you know depending on your job position because if you're aspiring to be an engineer and you create a awesome and amazing mechanics modality but really you were hired by the employer to work in the mailroom hmm. there's going to be argument on everyone's part as to whether or not whatever you created on your off time was really the employers yeah I, as we were talking about that whole hypothetical of the person who creates the app and then decides they need to protect their string of code before they go start licensing it out and blah 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 i was mm-hmm. thinking about actually a couple of the guests that i've had on this particular show and then also you know friends that i've had in the past who have created something that is a product or an idea that they came up with working for the employer that they work for because they were exposed to some sort of unique idea because mm-hmm. of what they do for a living. So, you know, as an example, like I work for Google and I work in search, right? And then I come up with an idea of something that can improve the search experience and decide to go off and create that thing, right? And so then there's that delicate dance of did I acquire this skill set while working for Google and learning how to get really good at search and do they care or do they decide, which I've seen happen in a kind of best case scenario, we really like that idea so much, but we don't want to have to spend the time and money to pursue it. We're going to invest in your company and send you off you know, into the wilderness to go test it and create it. And if it's great, we're going to buy a significant enough stake in it that we'll be able to keep eyes on and determine if it's something that more money needs to flow into it or we need to just acquire you and bring it back in-house. Like That's mm-hmm. the ideal scenario, but I've yes. also seen the opposite side where you turn in your resignation, let them know, Hey, I'm going to go pursue this idea that I have. And the company says, well, not so fast because actually that idea that you're going to pursue, we can see where you created it using your work laptop. And almost all of the work that you did on it was on our machine. Mm. Technically that is our work product. And it was one of those, like, you should have known better kind of scenarios. Absolutely. So as, as you know, you and I are talking through this, I was just thinking about like all the different ways that this can, this can go wrong if you don't protect yourself from, from day one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
But let's let's shift the conversation a little bit and talk about money for a moment, right? Because I teed up this episode on the premise that we're going to talk about the thing we created, finding a way to profit from it, right? So can you talk about some of the ways that I might be able to profit from the work of creating something worth patenting or trademarking or copywriting separate from just the the licensing that I mentioned of my app and the the code that I created or that sort of thing? Absolutely. I can do one better and tell you about there's this attorney that used to work for a company. She was more like their merger and acquisition attorney. Mm -hmm. And then she was introduced to licensing, right? She was introduced to licensing by way of her work, right? So she spent years looking at the mergers acquisitions. And then she also spent years learning more about how companies receive other monies from investors, from family, friends, people who give you fame and fortune, Mm -hmm. and then how they went through the process of getting monies from hedge hedge fund managers and Mm -hmm. different individuals. Well, she had this great idea. She was like, you know what? I have all this knowledge with regards to helping startups raise money. So she created a whole classroom and she decided that she's going to sell this these classes, these trainings for $97. Mm-hmm. And some of her companies that invested in these classes for their employees was Google, Amazon, Lululemon, Lululemon. Um, and Shopify, Apple, of course, right? Big companies. So $97, big companies. She was an attorney who helped with capital, but she was like, I'm going to utilize this information that I know. I'm going to do this fundraising training. I took her fundraising training, her Angels 101 training. Mm -hmm. She has others like how you can negotiate for equity. It's on a higher end, but still giving people access to this as opposed to spending thousands of dollars to gift to give to an attorneys to teach her or do the work, right? Because mm-hmm. it's always good to not to to not go in blindly. So she took her information, she created a course, she then put that course on her website. Then she then said, "Oh, who else needs this information with regards to fundraising or uh, angel investors, right?" And now she is now getting her own. She's doing her own ask with regards to it. You know, you can invest in in her company with regards to, I think it's at 25,000 initial investment. Mm -hmm. And she said, and there can be groups, but you see how this was an attorney who Mm -hmm. was just helping her, her client, I think it was Lulimon at the time, helping her client with regards to getting investors. And she learned all of this. And then she turned around and she started teaching regular people. And that is what also inspired me to turn Legally Chic into a teaching app as well, because learning from her, I was like, wait a minute. So now companies are now looking at online teaching as Mm -hmm. like digital companies. Oh, I'm all in. You see how that (laughs) just that one thing that she did when she saw how other people were were raising their money for their startups. Mm -hmm. And now she's helping other people. Just think how many people can do that with, I don't know, like estate planning or help people understanding with regards to investments in in alternative investments. You know, Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of years with the Department of Labor and just talk about alternative investments and how they can use limited partnerships investments and work with hedge fund managers or people who have family offices who know people in the back end. So it's not just mutual fund, you know, or people are wanting to learn more about NFTs, but guess what? There's a class for that. If you already know it, 
you turn it into a class and then you can have a broader audience with marketing and obviously and advertising, but just thinking about how you know something, you create it one time and you can monetize it for a lifetime. When you started telling that story and you said she used to be an attorney and and did all these wonderful things and then pivoted, I, I thought the the aha was going to come when you said, and her name is Toni Moore, but you actually <laughs> uh, <laughs> brought it full circle toward the end and let us know that that was the inspiration for you also kind of uh, yes. following the, the the same path. But I, I was I was really waiting for the 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 big reveal um, to that that story, but how. How would I go about like using that exact same uh, mm-hmm. example you just you just gave? Right. So I, I have the knowledge from doing the thing that I do at my nine to five. The light bulb goes off and says other people would be willing to pay for this if I just packaged it properly and put it mm-hmm. online for them to consume it whenever they feel like it. How would I go about licensing my asset to someone else or another company? Like you mentioned, Apple and Google and whoever else decide they want to buy this so that they can allow their employees to have access to it. How would I go about one forming an entity and protecting that asset, but then also going about licensing that asset to a bigger company like that once I've created it? Mm -hmm. Well, starting a company, I always tell my, my startups, it's very easy. Most states have their own secretary of state Mm -hmm. where uh, it's, where you literally just file articles of incorporation or for a corporation or articles of organization where they're going to ask you the name, the address, the members, if there's more than one and uh, the mission of the company, easy breezy Mm -hmm. done. It started. You wait about two weeks and you will get a letter from your secretary of state um, in Pennsylvania, it's called Secretary of State. But um, you letter from your Secretary of State and says, congratulations, you started your company. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, legally speaking, I will want you to make sure that if there's any licenses or permits that you need to do, that you also now inform the locality and the state, hey, this this company is here. And you also contact the tax, the tax bureau and let them know that the company has been established. Because I tell people the best coverage is compliance. Without compliance, there's no coverage. Yeah. So that limited liability, um, you know, um, cover, you know, coverage where most people are like, oh, this is a limited liability company. Only up until the point where you have compliance, where there's no compliance, you can't rely on a limitation of liabilities. Hmm. So you started the company. Then after you, you have your um, approval from your state, then you go to irs.gov, which is irs.gov, mm-hmm. and you go and you look to see how you can obtain, literally on that website, nowhere else, a tax EIN number because you need a, your state is going to give you a state number for your newly founded company, and the IRS is going to give you a tax ID number, a employer ID number for your newly established company. Some people are like, well, Tony, I don't want to have a limited liability company. And I'm like, okay, you can be a sole proprietor. That's where you see people who work as contractors and, and solely exclusively in their own name. Mm-hmm. But for uh, business purposes, you don't want everyone to have your social security number. So even if you're going to start under your name, I still want you to go to irs.gov. And I still want you to uh, request a EIN number, employer ID number for bank purposes, because mm-hmm. when you have it for bank purposes, now you can have your own bank account that is in the name of your doing business as, you know, that type of thing. So now 
you've already, you've created the company, you have your EIN number. And if I tell people you can brainstorm, literally, like what do people need to know? Like if I brainstorm what people need to know with regards to estate planning, that's, you know, I can do like seven steps. And if I needed to brainstorm what people needed to know on how to do it yourself trademark, which I did, Mm -hmm. you know, I created a trademark class, then I brainstorm storm that right and so what the brainstorming of the trademark class is called literally is called trademark mastery it's a do-it-yourself trademark class and i created i'm like oh these are the seven things that they need to do and you can do that as well whatever problem people have but you have a solution come up with the seven things now you have a rubric now you can either record the class on zoom record the class um, with a videographer, you know, bring in individuals as your prototype testers, nothing free, but um, I don't believe in beta, but at least prototype testers and you have them sign a non-disclosure agreement and a do not copy agreement and things of that nature. And then you, then you get testimonials on how great the, the, the company mm, is. That's and, then, mm-hmm, and then you start marketing and they start marketing as well, you know, with regards to it. And then you start, you know, establishing yourself as an expert. Companies are looking for, I'm an African-American woman. And I say that because if you're a woman owned business owner, African-American person, if you are a, a vet, veteran even if you're LGBTQ as well, there's certain certifications that you can have identifying your company for supplier diversity. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, most of the time, people know who they know and they hire who they know based on their like, know, and trust. But sometimes there's a company that says, you know what, we want to diversify our suppliers. You know, is there someone else out there who can who can train and he can teach and they'll come out there with a bid request, you know, or they have a call of of um for someone to create a class with regards to it. Or, you know, as you know, it's not always who you know, but what you know. And someone would be like, you know what, I like your subject matter expertise. Will you come in? So one of my clients, she works a lot with a, a lot of companies and she's training them with regards to a rubric that she created, her modality, her framework. And so she has a copyright registration establishing that this is her ownership rights. You know, Mm -hmm. she has trainings and classes that's also a video and that's also copyright registered. So when she's working with others, she's like, I will teach you my rubric. I will give you an opportunity to um, ask the questions and we can have a trainer trainer and you can even have access to, to utilize for a fee, of course, this manual or this workbook that I've created using my intellectual property because I knew this problem so well mm-hmm. that I turned my steps into a syllabus from my adjunct professor days. <laughs> you know, now other people can duplicate. So it, it, the, the more it can be duplicated by others, the more and someone needs it, then they're going to say, you know what? My people need this. Mm -hmm. Like I do a lot of fiduciary compliance on ERISA employee benefits, you know? And so it's like, oh my God, I know more people who need this. HR executives need this and so have you. And then they're like, can you train our people? And then, then now the question is, can you train our people? Absolutely. And can we have access to your training? Absolutely not. You know, not without the fee. And that's where the license come in. And I always tell my my subject matter experts, the same way Microsoft has a license on how many people can utilize the software that you register on that one computer mm-hmm. is the same way you can shut the door. I liked how you said that earlier on how many people have access to your intellectual property. 
Mm. Do, do are they going to have it forever? Absolutely not because things change and, you know, but do they have it for six months or a year? And then if so, then how many employees have access to it? Is it one? Is it 20? Is, is it, you know, I created it. So now all of the individuals in Europe, all my employees that are attached, they can have it. No, no, no. You negotiate because everything is negotiable. So that's how you create the one thing that you knew so well, almost like what Brooke did and how I did with regards to setting up a nonprofit and how I'm doing one for estate planning the same way I did one for trademarking. And, and I create- imagine... I imagine this copyright or trademark that I create could and should live on beyond my lifetime, right? Can you say a bit about how to structure my estate? Because I know that's another point of emphasis for you so that this asset continues to pay my future generations. Yes. So one of the things, so you've established that you have a registration. Copyrights last for the life of the creator plus 70 years, right? Unless you negotiate outside of that Mm -hmm. um, because everything is negotiable. Trademarks last as long as you utilize them. So as long as you use it or your children, your children's children use it, then it's yours. You know, it's protectable, right? Patents only are good for 20 years. Then everything becomes generic and it works just as good, right? So when you have already created the company and established in the operating agreement, I always make my clients have a succession plan, at least a conversation. If something happens, you know, what, what happens to the interest of the company? Does it then get assigned over to a trust or does it shut down automatically? So that's a conversation, that's succession planning 101. When you are grow weary of doing the same thing over and over again, or you just want to get out and do something new, then what's going to happen? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to are you going to appoint someone else to run it? Or are you going to assign the 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 um income interest? to maybe perhaps maybe your family dynasty trust and I call it dynasty trust because it's not just you and your, your spouse, but Mm -hmm. it could be you, your spouse, your children and your grandchildren. And then you can also leverage it out to other family members or loved ones, or even like nonprofits or so forth and so on. So it's the assignment of the profits that comes into play with regards to it. So most people are thinking of trust and you can have a business trust with regards to it. And then you identify because the trust is what we create that is for the benefit of a third party ourselves, a third party, our children. And then there's uh, a set of ground rules with regards to who's going to be the decision maker, who's, uh, you know, who's going to have access and things of that nature. Who's going to be the, yeah. So, so that's where the trust will come into play for the assignment of the income. Or if, if, if you want it, you know, you can have a, a, you know, in your will, you can say, Hey, upon my death, I assign all of my rights and my residue of my intellectual property registrations over to my family dynasty trust. So, uh, wow. Uh, (laughs) I was, I was actually about to go down that, that rabbit hole even further, but I don't want to drag this one out any further because you've been super generous with your time and also lots of great information. But the, the last thing I'll ask you, where can people find you if they, want to learn more about you and or Legally Chic after this goes live and they hear that cliffhanger? Yes. I'm at uh, across all, what is it, social media? Mm-hmm. I'm at Tony Moore ESQ, Tony Moore ESQ. And I'm and you can even find me at TonyMoreESQ.com. Awesome. Well, on that note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close this out, sir? I would love to. This has been fantastic. Tony, thank you so much for your time today. Of course, Malcolm, 
Thank you so much for facilitating this and being an amazing host. And our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as this does help other people find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. We'll see you next time. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.